0: This episode contains adult themes and may not be suitable for all audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to Calibrate Conversations, a podcast about embracing God's standard for sexuality. I'm your host, Brady Cohn. Today, we have a couple of amazing guests on, but first, make sure you like this video, share with your friends, and subscribe to our channel if you haven't done so already. And make sure you check out calibrateministries.com for more resources and podcast episodes. So today, we are with Adam and Lauren Jones. We are in the uh, cold metropolis mm-hmm. of Spearfish, South Dakota, and I've been... Thinking about wanting to share your story for a long time. I first heard your story years ago at a conference, and I was blown away by God's grace. And on this podcast, we love sharing stories of God's grace and redemption and hope, especially when it comes to sexuality and marriage. And so for a long time, I've been wanting to interview a couple who had just been through some hard things and found redemption and a new marriage that, you know, that the world says is impossible. And many times Christians don't believe is, impo- is possible. And so today, we're going to hear your story. And so let's hear a little bit about who you are, uh, a little bit about your family, and what do you do here in Spearfish, and then we will dig right into it.
1: Sure. Um, I'm Adam Jones, and this is my wife, Lauren. And currently we live here in this beautiful, just tropic.
0: It was negative six when we got here. Oh, I think it's
1: a heat wave. I think we're up to 20. Maybe 30. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it really is nice out there. Um, we've been here since Oh five or so. Um, so whatever that is, that's almost, we're getting close to the 20 year mark where we're able to say that by 18 or 19 years, um, and done various things. But currently I work at a bank. I do mortgages, which is an incredible environment right now. And, uh, Lauren is a administrator at the, there's one Christian school in Spearfish, um, and she took the administrator position over there. Last year was her first year, and going on second year, and um, that's kind of what we do for a living. Um, Three kiddos at home, um, one foster kiddo who's 17, and um, then our biological children, Peyton and Paisley. Um, Peyton's 14, and Paisley is um 12 and so that's been a blast i'll fix it don't worry about it um blast to have kids and they're definitely part of this story um as we go through it um for sure um so that's that's a full-time job um kids um those of you who have young ones know very very well um what that's like so
0: absolutely so let's start from the beginning a little bit of context about your childhoods the spiritual environment you grew up in leading up to where you guys met um and then eventually got married and so what was what was the context what were you guys struggling with were you following jesus trying to follow jesus what did your life look like um i
1: i'll start um I really wasn't brought up in a place that we spoke about Jesus um, it just wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a um, foundational um, part of our family we didn't uh, it was there we went to church every Sunday we did churchy things um, but as far as you know flipping the scriptures open at home studying them, being led in that direction knowing who he was doing it on your own making it a priority for our day-to-day walk um i've, I've been going through that process lately looking back through my childhood what did i learn about god through that process and man I, we didn't it wasn't top priority we didn't place it out in front of us um uh, we're good people, great family. I was a nice kid. It didn't come with a bunch of destruction, but it was it was very much a checkbox Sunday morning, maybe typical American. Pray before
0: your meals. Put on the image. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, and I don't even know if purposefully putting on an image, but just that's all I knew was we went to church and we said we were Christians and our you know did our lives reflect that? It didn't really matter. I don't th- at least it didn't to me. Um, there was no Christ living in me. Um so I didn't know the difference. Um and that that was the case until I got I got saved after we were married when I was 21. So that was my whole childhood and growing up. Her story was very different.
2: Yeah, so um I did grow up in a Christian home, had great Christian family. Um my dad was as long as I can remember a deacon or an elder at our church. Um there for all the things. Um and loved the Lord and everything was based around the Lord. Um, So in a sense, I grew up sheltered. I went to a Christian school as a kid. I went to a very small country school in high school where I think in my graduating class had 22 kids in it. Um, So was sheltered in a sense from the real world. And so it wasn't until I got to college that um, I was like, oh, there's a different world out here. So it does fit into our story, I think, because part of the foundation had been built, but it wasn't my own. It was totally my parents' foundation, um, which is still great and does play into the story as it goes on. But um, God knew that I needed it to be my own. Um, I was saved when I was younger. Um, I fully believe I was saved. I just was being sanctified um, through this process. And so uh, went to college, met Adam at Eastern Wyoming College, which is a little junior college in Torrington. Go Lancers! Um, he played basketball, and I was just one of the girls there. Uh, there wasn't a ton to choose from, so. Uh,
0: what town did you grow up in?
2: I grew up in Torrington, so I was still in my hometown. Um, but you know,
0: my wife is from Lingle, and yeah. she thinks she might have played basketball against.
2: She the did, game, so. yeah, yeah. So I went to Southeast. She still holds <laughs> Dog. Oh man, yeah, Cyclones and Doggers, definitely a rival. Um, so we met, and you know, I felt free. And what kind of part of the crazy part of the story, too, is um, I was under kind of a controlling uh, relationship in high school uh, situation. And so I always joke with Adam that I wasn't even rebelling against my parents, I don't think. It was more of rebelling against an old boyfriend, old relationship Mm -hmm. where I felt I was under control all the time. So when I got to college and was able to get out from that relationship, it was like freedom. Um, So Adam and I met at a college party uh, in a pasture somewhere, uh, maybe in... Sounds
0: sounds about right. That's Um, how you do it.
2: So this whole other world existed that I knew nothing about. I wasn't a partier. I didn't know anything about it um, until I hit college. So um met Adam there and started, I think we just started hanging out. And I remember my dad saying one time, you really like this guy. And um, I said, oh, no, dad, we're just friends. I would never date Adam. Mm-hmm. We're just friends.
1: Got her. <laughs> and
2: my dad must have saw something different in how we acted or whatever. But um So dated through college uh, at Eastern Wyoming, I went up to Black Hills State here in Spearfish to get my teaching degree. Uh, Adam stayed back in Torrington for a year, continued to date through that process. Um, You know, I think my relationship with Christ, like I said, it was there. I just was, um, I always think of the verse and I couldn't even tell you where it is, but maybe it's in um, Hebrews, but about uh, quenching the Holy Spirit. I feel like that was... I knew better, but I didn't care. Um, so I would, you know, maybe have a couple months where I was close with the Lord or felt like I was close with the Lord and was trying to dig in and, and knew that that was important, but also liked my party life um, and friend life and relationships and things like that. And so, um, you know, we got married um, and I was trying to think how long we were dating, maybe two years before we got married.
1: Well, we met in 04, Mm -hmm. 03, 04, and got married in 06. 06, Yeah. So
2: So we got married, and I remember right before we got married, I started questioning, because then it gets serious, you know, like my party life is where I met him, but then when I'm thinking about my actual relationship and my future, I knew what the word had said about not being unequally yoked. And I started getting nervous because I liked him, and I kind of met him in a scene that wasn't the best, and now I'm like, I know you shouldn't marry someone who doesn't love the Lord. And so, you know, we do what we want to do as yes. humans.
0: and you find excuses to and To make justification. it work.
2: Yes. So I actually called up the pastor of my church at that time, and I said, hey, so, and we were engaged. I said, I'm engaged to Adam, and I said, I'm just starting to kind of get nervous that he doesn't have a personal relationship with the Lord. And um, I was wondering if you could meet with him and tell me what you think. And so he agreed, took Adam out to lunch and he called me on the phone later that night and he said, you know, I met with Adam and, you know, he's solid. He Mm -hmm. he knows the Lord. And it's part of my story because I realized I relied so much on every person in my life that I felt was really, really religious or really good to make decisions for me. And so, you know, and God was showing me that that's not how that works. You know, my relationships with him and not with people. And so I, as soon as I got the green light from the pastor, I was like, oh, I can marry this guy. The pastor said he's a Christian, even though in the back of my mind, I didn't, it was more like he described his upbringing. It was more of a checkbox. Sure. Yep. I, yep. I'm a Christian, you know, just say the right thing. And, um, so that was my first, um, you know, even when we were getting married, sounds kind of sad, but even when we were getting married, I remember saying my vows thinking, man, I really hope this guy loves the Lord. Cause I don't know. It was like this, I, I knew it, mm-hmm. even though I didn't want to admit it, I knew marrying someone that I'm pretty certain doesn't align with where I'm at. Um, and at that point too far gone, it seems. And it's like I'm going through with it anyway, here we all are yeah. and. We're going to push this baby through. And
0: I think people need to be much more willing to back out of, you know, there's just this pressure and embarrassment mm-hmm. of it's like, oh man, like, no, we need to call off this engagement or you've like pr- in the process of perching a house together or like it, you, there's just wisdom in having it an easy way out because until you're married, you need to be able to say, no, mm-hmm. uh, we are not in a good place here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that was one step of what it was going to take for God to start stripping things Mm -hmm. Um, for my own. That's, I guess, my side of the sanctification is he knew what it was going to take. And it was going to take marrying and someone who didn't believe in him um, and have that personal relationship. So that kind of leads us up to getting married, I guess.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's important to know that 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 unequally yoked was a thing. Um, we didn't court, we didn't, we didn't know what dating was. I I tell my kid, he's got a girlfriend, um, you don't know what that means. (laughs) You really don't at 14 and neither do you at 20. If you don't know what the purpose of that relationship is, um, we are entertaining the idea of being, um, you being a female being, being a male at pursuing marriage. And that should be the purpose of it. We can be friends. We can, we can go through life together and do those things. But if we're going to be in an intimate relationship with her, with each other, it's for the purpose of marriage. Yeah.
0: And I, I think that teen dating most of the time is so foolish. It's like, mm-hmm. what's the purpose in this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I see Christian parents just embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, that's just what kids do and help find themselves. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Play the field some and learn. From, it's like I just, n- unless you are in a place where we could get married mm-hmm. and follow the Lord in marriage, like I don't believe that you should be dating. And that's mm-hmm. most most teenage relationships. Obviously, you hear some that uh, okay after high school they get married, they love Jesus, they have kids. Yeah, it's awesome. But that's usually not the case with teenage dating. No, but we as the church don't do a very good job of. Uh, having values that are different from the world and we just kind of buy into the world system of dating marriage and it doesn't look any different than the world it's just about me and personal fulfillment and the feelings this person gives me yeah
1: yeah that's absolutely true it's following emotion it's following feeling and we we all know that those lie to us nonstop. so I don't know. Going back to how you would do that any different, um, but that's what it what it was, and it took God to get a hold of my heart. And just the reason that His grace and His mercy, and His sovereignty is the focus of our story is because there's no way in my own decision, I didn't come to a rationale at some point during our story where I was like, okay, um, I guess I'll try Jesus now because I know I was saying I was trying him earlier, but I'll do it for real now because I've gone down these roads and they didn't work. It was a complete, um, he had to hijack my life and I really didn't want him to and he did anyway um, and I couldn't, I couldn't stop um, what he was doing. Um, he was pointing to so much truth, he was pointing to so much grace through my wife Um, that it was unmistakable when I sat back and looked at it and went, well, what is this then? Because there's a grace being offered here that I don't understand. Um, And it it had to be him. There's no other explanation for it. Um, So he definitely got a hold of me um, after we were married, after we went through some things um, and showed me who he was through her. Um, And to get us to that point, when we got married, um, we were typical married people, uh, early early age married people in their 20s. We didn't make any money. Uh, we didn't have any real jobs. I was in school. She was finishing school. She was going to be a teacher. I have no idea what I'm going to be. So by the time we graduated college, she maybe was a teacher at that point, And I didn't have any career and anything that I knew that I was going to go do. And I worked at a furniture store. Um, and so, you know, ramen noodles and the cheapest in, income-driven apartment that you can live in, and it's it's that typical story. Well, I get this job right out of. I knew somebody who knew somebody, and I got a job um, at a big company right out of college. I graduated in December, and I think I started in February. And it's a big company, and it's a corporation, and it was Fortune 30 at that time. And it's you know, like, oh man, I. I did the thing where I went to college and then got the American dream job. And so we thought we were loaded. I think I was making 35K. We thought we were loaded. And I got a car um, to drive around in and a cell phone. It was a flip phone. Still. You were
0: living the highlight. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was great. I was, you know, I bought some dress clothes and tried to look important and do all those things. Anyway, that's all. Um beside the point, but I got a job and it was a good one we thought and um off to the races from that point. We built a house. Um that job it required me to travel. Um it just it was a it was a regional job. I I traveled western half of South Dakota and I traveled over to uh we were the heartland is what our zone was called, so it was it was Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, South Dakota, Nebraska, and so that was my area. It's a big area. Um, and as a person who is unconverted um, and has a tendency to have an addictive personality and likes to have a lot of fun, traveling by myself on business trips was a bad, bad plan. It was a bad combination. That led to a lot of things that, that didn't need to happen. Um, what's interesting, I'm going to step aside for a second, is I had to go back and listen to our story. We gave our testimony at Grace Fellowship, um, in 2016, hmm. if you can believe that it was that long ago. Um, and the reason, this, this is just a, a, an amazing way to give God all the glory for everything that's going on. We had to go back and listen, or I went back and listened because I didn't, it's not that I don't remember what happened, but it doesn't, that even though it was tragic, almost almost irreversibly tragic, we remo- we, we moved on.
0: Yeah. It doesn't define you. It it seems like a completely different world you live in now, because you're living in a different kingdom. You've been rescued into the kingdom of the Son who loves you.
1: It's so real. I had to go back and listen, because I'm like, I think there's important pieces of our story that people need to hear. But the, the, the biggest piece that anybody should take from true testimony is that the testimony is Christ. The testimony is His power and what He does, and He continues to do it. Our testimony continues to this day. He's doing amazing things in our life still. Um, He did an amazing thing um, through some tragic events that happened at that time. But, man, I had to go back and remember. Um, One of the things I shared um, that day that that I got to listen to this morning when I was prepping for for, um, having this conversation with you was, one of the things I said was, we're not allowed to remember what God forgets. And I remember this passage in Hebrews where he says, God remembers your sin no more. Not that he doesn't know it happened, but he's not using your past sin against you moving forward nonstop. Yeah, but remember when? Yeah, but you were just. And remember when you did this? Remember when you were unfaithful and, and building and beating you down with um, your your past sin? He, You're a new creation. You're moving forward. Um, grace is new every morning and you get to um, wake up every day and, and accept whatever challenges come, and live in the moment. And um, I don't have to hash out you know, the previous fifteen years of our marriage every day.
0: Yes,
1: um, there's incredible freedom in that. So that I had to step aside That's for a second because awesome. I had to go back and listen. I'm like, well, what is our story? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Uh-huh. The hand grenade happened. Um, we went to. I went. I went on a trip to Iowa in. I don't even know what year. Uh, 0- 07 or something, 7- 0- 08, and had an affair um, on a business trip, um, and drove home, and immediately walked in and told my wife. That's absolutely not what happened. Like nobody's doing that, right? So I lived. I lived with a secret, a really deep like it's a gut wrenching secret. I had an affair. Um, didn't walk in and tell her. I had to. I remember um, getting to about Wall. Which is a town, an uh, hour west uh, east of here. Driving on the interstate, going okay. I need to f- I need to switch what type of music I'm listening to for the next hour. I need to get back into righteous mode. Yes. You know,
0: mm-hmm. put the be fig- prepared for the to be the spiritual image bearer. Per- you know, yep.
1: put the fig leaves on. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going back into nobody knew me in Iowa nobody knew me when I was traveling. Um, Whatever your circumstances are, if you're in an environment where people don't know who you are, that's a dangerous place to be if you don't know who you are, because you're going to be whoever you need to be to blend in with that group. Um, And that that, uh, business travel world um, is a dangerous one for young adults. So I was a different person out there. And as I got closer to home, I had to transform into husband and worship leader. Um, All of the things that i probably told that pastor i knew were the right answer i had to transform into um, there is no worse place on the planet than to live with hidden hidden things um, right after we got married we lived in the smallest apartment in spearfish i got saved and it's important to go back and mention that because when if you're a christian living with the holy spirit in you and sinning and making a pattern of it
0: it's miserable
1: it's the most miserable life on the planet. You'd be better off to just not be saved, I think, for your own happiness, if that's what you're after, because the conviction of the Holy Spirit is nonstop. He doesn't do those things, and He's living in you. And that's the conviction that took a really long time for me to be able to place... took, took me a long time to place it. What is
0: this feeling? Um, it, it's terrible. So a conscience that's railing against you calling out for your death because you're guilty. Yep. And you deal with a double life, you have to numb it. Yep. You have to block it out. You have to pretend and it just keeps seeping, seeping out and you can't ignore it. Mhm.
1: And it's non-stop. Uh, it's when you wake up in the morning, it's when you go to sleep at night. Um and there's that's guilt and shame, and it's it's being part of you is hidden. And 99% of me could have been known, but there's one percent that wasn't. And for me, that was a big one percent. Um, having an affair and coming home and trying to lay in bed with her and pretend like everything was okay—that's gosh, that's terrible. And people are doing it nonstop. Maybe not an affair, but something. Um, I remember I remember this part of the story, but I would lay in bed while she would sleep, and I'd just weep because. Sin will find you out, and I knew it. I knew it was coming. I knew there's gonna be a day where that was gonna, you're gonna get caught. It might be 20 years from now, and I didn't want that to happen. I don't want to feel like this for 20 years, but I don't want her to know. So what do I? What do you do with that? Um, I tried to black it out. Um, I didn't know how else to do it, so I drank a lot. Um, it's it's easier to just numb your emotion. And I uh, made a mistake. I'm never gonna tell her about, and. Just that guilt and shame living under your skin without being confessed to anybody is enough to, um, <laughs> you're at a zero normally if your emotions are here. And when, when you're living in secret sin, you're maybe at a negative five. And you got, something has to get you back to zero. And for me, I chose the wrong paths to get me back to zero. I cho- and people choose a lot of different things, but I chose alcohol, I chose more women. I chose things that I thought emotionally made sense to me to get me back to feeling normal. Um, alcohol is a big part of what happened in my life and that when you're at a negative five and you have to get to zero, you drink a little bit of beer. Um, when you go to a negative six, you got to drink a little bit more beer to get to zero. When, you, um, when you're you trying to equalize like that nonstop and your body's building a dependence and your emotions are getting even more deep. Um, In the whole, it takes more and more and more until eventually it's not possible anymore with with whatever thing it is. And so you have to supplement. You have to add something else to it. More women, drugs, more alcohol, uh, money, maybe a promotion at work. Anything that's making you feel like you're winning. Um, But you never do. And so it just becomes an addiction cycle or that's what it became for me. Um, Holding that secret. So fast forward a little bit. Um, those business trips still happened and the same result came from most of those business trips. There's women and there's, um, they're, they're on the same boat. They, they don't, they're away from home and they, they are displeased with their life at home and they find uh, this fantasy world that isn't real, that people get to party and stay out late and there's no accountability and nobody knows who you are. So it's the same thing. So that existed in every environment and you can kind of just be whoever you want to be and deal with the consequences later. Yeah.
0: And what doesn't make sense with sin is that you do it once and you're horrified that you did this and you know how miserable it made you, but then you go back and do it again. And that's that's when we have unconfessed sin, we haven't dealt with, that's the pattern we all go through. And it, it makes no sense that we do that, but that's the cycle when we don't confess, we don't repent. And we don't make a change, then we go through the same thing again, and we keep making the same horrible choices, even though we say, we're never going to do this again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I always say with my pornography addiction or hookups or whatever it was, it's like, you say you're never going to do it again, and then it only takes about 46 minutes later, and yeah. you do it again. Isn't and that then frustrating? It's the same cycle, and then it's like, how could I have done that? Yeah. Yeah. And leads to more and more misery, more and more numbing of the conscience, more and more having to block out the Holy Spirit's voice because I can't live with what the Holy Spirit is convicting me of. So I have to numb, numb him, push him out, yeah. uh, with whatever means to do that.
1: Yeah, and it happens quick, like you said, forty-six minutes, and then it becomes that becomes shorter. Um, the time frames in between, and that is a frustrating thing. And, and Paul very well knew that frustration. Of course, yes. shares it very clearly with us. I really d- want to stop doing this, but I can't. And I keep doing things I don't want to do. Um, and there's freedom. There really is freedom from that um, cycle. Um, and it's the greatest freedom ever. Um, but it involves with confessing sin, and it involves being known, and allowing. People that you're around, you need to trust their relationship with Christ, I think is a huge piece of this. If I am if I'm hesitant to confess my sin to Lauren or a buddy of mine, really what that says is I don't I either don't trust God or I don't trust his relationship with God or her relationship with God, because I, I fear that their response is going to be poor. And I don't want poor response, I want love. And if I confess to my wife that I had an affair, I know what's going to happen. She's going to flip out and go nuts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want that. I want acceptance, so it's easier for me to hide it. Um, to confess is a big deal, because I need to trust that whoever I'm confessing to is going to respond with God's grace and God's love. Um, those people are few and far between.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, but a blessing to have. Um multiple times left town that same result happened came back um the the turning point for I, i don't know if destruction is a strong word but it really took a turn that's that's bad enough to be living with she doesn't know what's going on we're still playing the um the game i'm still playing the game um for years Peyton's two um she's pregnant with paisley our daughter and um where it takes a turn is all of that stuff was happening elsewhere in the uh, you know, might as well have been a foreign country, Minnesota, um, <laughs> Iowa, that sort of stuff. But it's not close to here, and it's away from home. Where it took a turn was when it got close to home, and we hired a secretary in Rapid City that I ended up having an affair with, and that was in that was in her backyard. That was right here, and, I, and now it was now it's close.
0: Now you can't keep those worlds separate like you used to, and you can't have this separation where you're driving home and you put on your game face. Yep. Game Face
1: um, preparation time was diminished greatly from Tilford to Spearfish is a lot shorter than Wall. Um, but it, interestingly enough, in a in sick, twisted, depraved mind that sometimes we um, give into, I saw a way out. Well, now it's in my backyard. If I get caught, I have somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. I remember that just being a, it's like I got a backup plan. At least if I tell her and she freaks out, I can go to rapid before then, where do I go and so that's it that
0: doesn't make any sense, but sin makes us stupid <laughs> That's what my seminary professor always said, and it's so true. Yep. there's no logic anymore, yep. and we don't think clearly
1: Well we think it's logic. Mm-hmm. if I screw up now there's oh my gosh, so here was my master plan um I'm gonna tell her. Because if she freaks out and kicks me out, i got somewhere to be. But what I'm going to tell her isn't, it's going to be partial truth. So I I told her that I had an affair once a long time ago, which was true, right?
0: Mm -hmm. That wasn't the whole truth.
1: There's a full-blown affair going on right now. I I, I had messaged that girl before I sat her down and said, I'm going to go talk to her. I lied to her too, the other one. Like, yeah, I'll tell her. So I told Lauren, full on expecting that it was going to be a freak out, throw dishes um, thing. And that was, my, that was my out. When she freaks out and I get kicked out, I don't have to tell her what's really going on. Now I can just leave. Yeah. And then I can go pursue relationship with this other female and it can be a result of, yes. you know what I mean? So that there's the web of lies that begins to, and it's all got to work and it's conniving. And then you and,
0: justify, you can justify being with this other woman yeah. of like, well, my wife rejected me. Yeah, so absolutely. I had to move she went on. nuts.
1: Mm-hmm. I got to move now. I, yeah. I'm justifying it for sure. So I sat Lauren down and I will never forget this feeling, but I said, Hey, I need to talk to you. And we sat down just like you and I are on this couch right now and didn't say a word to each other for one hour. Do you want to sit here in silence for an hour for your podcast people? It is. It was an hour long.
0: Because
1: I remember I kept looking at the clock, and it went really fast and really slow at the same time. But I remember saying, I can't get this out of my mouth. I can't say it. And she knew what I was going to say, so she wasn't talking. She was going to make me say it. I wanted her to say, are you having an affair? That would have been a lot easier then for me. Then you could have
0: just said yes instead of saying those words. Yep. But she made me talk, so...
1: So I say I had an affair once, which of course was a true lie. That's a thing, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And she collapsed and broke down and curled up in a ball and, and cried and didn't kick me out. And my plan started to not work. What now, what do we do? What? Okay. So that didn't work. So I had no choice but to continue to pursue it um, in a different way. Like, I can't, now now I'm stuck. Now I got a wife who knows that I was unfaithful once, but she's not okay with it, but she's also trying to figure out what we do next. And her answer was, maybe we should get help and fix this. And that is not what I wanted to hear. (laughs) Yeah,
0: because you know that there's so much more to fix than she even knows about.
1: Yeah, like you don't, we can't fix this. She said, let's call some counselors and get some help, right? Mm
2: -hmm. but that's also kind of part of again my first thing right someone smarter than us can fix Mm, this and so call a counselor and this will be fixed you know Mm -hmm. um always looking for can a man fix this Mm. like you know a counselor can fix it and so i i think we picked up the phone i think i made him that night you're calling the counselor like this is we're getting scheduled
0: yep um Um, can you tell us, Lauren, a little bit about your experience of marriage during this time. Mm. Uh, Adam mm. had come to know Jesus, but then he has all these secret sin mm-hmm. issues, which usually means an emotional distance. Mm. So, did you have a feeling that like, oh, things yeah. aren't what they 100%. need to be? Like, it's funny, because when he how said did you handle he
2: was going to tell me about his affair, I made him tell him. I already knew. It was like the sick thing where I knew something was going on. But and this carries on throughout the whole story. It's like if I pretend I don't know, it's not happening. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. this will play out again. It's kind of my, you like denial, right? Like I know it's happening. Same thing with how I married him, right? I know he's not saved. Mm-hmm. But hey, that guy said he was, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend and go with it. I'm gonna act naive, I guess. Same exact feeling. The I know he's not coming home at night. Like getting later and later, we're making dinner, waiting for him. He's not showing up. Always an excuse. You know, just random things. You know, when he'd go on trips, I'd call and, oh, he, you know, I called his, couldn't get a hold of his cell phone. So I'd try the hotel room and, you know, wouldn't get a hold of him there. And then he'd say, oh, sorry, I fell asleep. You know, like always an excuse. I knew there was way more going on. But the other tricky part was he looked the part for to lead worship at church. And so I, you know, people would always comment, always come over to me and, oh, we love when Adam leads worship. He's so mm. awesome. And I'm thinking, you have no idea. You know, it was this resentment, but also play the part. Um, like, you know, you have to look a certain way. It can't be my mistake, right? Because then I have to own up to who I married or what's going on. And I didn't want to reflect that because, gosh, what will people think, right? And so um, it was always this. I hope he gets – I wish people could see what he's really like, you know, like, oh, he's yes. such a fake person. Like, this is not it. Um but again, then I would have to reflect on myself too, because I knew all these things and still pushed through because someone said to, or someone thought it was a good idea, or whatever. And so, same exact feeling as marrying you someone. You didn't feel the
0: confidence in yourself or the discernment from the Lord. Yeah. You had to rely on other people.
2: Yeah. It was like you can always, you know, in your own mind, justify it if it looks like someone's smarter than you. Told you something Mm -hmm. um then you don't have to own it again just not taking responsibility for my own walk and my own convictions but really relying on humans to fill the void or tell me what to think or um so you know i can tell you exactly where i was standing i can tell you what i made that night for dinner i mean Mm -hmm. i can remember it that clearly of him saying you need to talk to me and he, he he showed up late that night and i just i i remember it um I also remember, and it's kind of a silly thing, but things that you think of that you have to work through is I remember a one time, just a way that he looked at me and I was pregnant with Paisley at the time. And I just remember he got home from a trip and there was something about him. The way he just looked at me was this total disgust. And I remember Mm. thinking, huh, that was off. Like that was just off, but I'm thinking, and I don't know, you know, it's one of those things, but from his side of it, it was probably... A hurt like here's my pregnant wife Yes. and I shame. got this it was yeah, kind of, of this shame. look of like holy cow and I knew mm-hmm. something's off we're just off so when he told me I think that's why I didn't freak out because I already, I already knew it to be true kind of like I already knew he wasn't a believer so it was like I already knew that this was going on I just needed him to admit to it but again kind of like his story of then that's part of my plan then I'll have something to say I think if for me, him admitting it's like, well, then see, I'm in the right still, you know. Always the self-righteous, like holier than thou, you know. Like if he tells me he's having an affair, then I already knew and controlling my own world, you know. And and again, part of what God had to do is, you don't get to control your world. You don't. People don't get to control your world. I'm the center of your world, and you either are choosing to follow me or you're not. And it was a super hard lesson for me to learn. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one of my friends always says, you know, Adam's sin was ugly outward. You know, people got to point the finger at Adam and be like, "Ooh, that's whatever." I had just as many issues inward. You know, my self righteousness yes. of how I am and and my people pleasing and look the part was just different than his look the part. His was ugly. Yeah, mine was a cleaned up look the part. No,
0: and. We obviously are going to hear a lot more about how God brought you forward to where you are now. But I think that one of the make or break moments in these situations, or one of the attitudes that really affects it, is that when there's one spouse who's unfaithful, the other one is kind of naturally seen as the victim. Mm-hmm. And so it's like everyone is sometimes in the church or in the, uh, you know, Uh, the people around you gravitate towards the victim and it's like you're the victim and he's the sinner. Mm. And when there's not two sinners walking in humility towards their God and repentance of their own sin Mm. and with a humility to grow and lay down your life, it's like you can't rebuild a marriage. And I think that's one of the hardest Parts of a situation like this is for both spouses to realize I am a sinner too, and I need Jesus desperately. Mm -hmm. And on a daily basis, I need to humble myself to love my spouse. And I'm not, even though you are a victim of their sins, like I am just as much of a sinner. And that is really, really hard Mm -hmm. when there is a uh, situation where um, something like unfaithfulness and an affair that... uh, everyone naturally sees you as the victim. Yeah. At Calibrate Ministries, we have an entire ministry just for parents of LGBTQ kids because we want to be able to shepherd your hearts and encourage you and pray for you and your family as you navigate these situations. So just go to calibrateministries.com and fill out the contact form. And I'd love to be in touch with you about how you can be involved in that ministry.
1: That's a great segue into how God brought us through it Uh, because, gosh, we went, so we called the counselor that night um, and went and saw them. I wanted nothing to do with that because that wasn't part of my plan. I'm not interested in fixing this. I was interested in getting out. Now you're interested in fixing this. And I was just angry and when we sat down with them though we sat down we kind of told them what was going on and then they said we agree to meet with you and this is the power of biblical counselors who are following jesus um i cannot i want to thank them um and i need to thank god and they would make sure that we did that appropriately but god is using those two um to direct people to christ in a way that is 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 uh front lines, ground level warfare, because when we sat down with them, they said, we agree to meet with you, but we're not meeting together ever again. Mm -hmm. I'm meeting one on the guy. Pat said, I'm meeting one-on-one with you and Connie's meeting one-on-one with Lauren and because your issues. And then they didn't give us time to talk about the, she didn't get to talk about being a victim when she went and met with Connie. And I didn't get to talk about how um, I'm, you know, some of my behaviors justified, and it's she does this, and we we were not allowed by them to speak about one another, and how it justified our behavior. That's
0: amazing wisdom. It
1: was unbelievable. I just had another couple in our small group last week say that was really, really smart, and it's wisdom is the right word. Mm-hmm. And f- for all of those counseling sessions, and I, I I would love to say that we met with them for a while, and we don't meet with them again. Um, forever, but I still see him regularly because it's, it's good wisdom. It's good counsel. And what he has done from the day that we sat there and worked through up until when I saw him last week is point you to Jesus. And your vertical relationship with him is what matters. And nothing else horizontal matters until your relationship vertically is correct. Because if you want to point fingers at everybody in the room and say what everybody did to justify your sin, that will never work and you will be at warfare with men for the rest of your life. And until, until we were able to both look vertically and see what was going on inside of us and our beliefs about God that weren't true, um, ways that we thought um, he operated that he didn't, um, things that we needed to know about him that we didn't, um, ways that he created us that we didn't know he created us, until we started our vertical pursuit, our horizontal is gonna stay broken, and so we, They just continually pointed us to Jesus every time you walked in, no matter what was going on. She could have screwed up. I could have screwed up. And you knew when you showed up to talk, it was, so here's what Christ says about you and who you are. And remember, this is the promise that he made to you. And this is why he died. And um, it was never about, we never even talked about sin, really. We didn't give it that much power. I mean, yeah, that's a result, but you're sinning because your relationship with him is broken. Um, and trying to put on a show for everybody isn't going to fix it. And so it, it's about Galatians 5. It's about the Spirit being at odds with the flesh to keep each other from doing what they want to do. It's If you want to walk in the Spirit, you're going to be free from this. If you want to walk in the flesh and try to perform um, for everybody around you, it's going to be a broken existence for the rest of your life. And... That is, uh, by the grace of God, those people were placed in our life to show us who we were in Christ individually. Um, There's a triangle that people, pastors, marriage counseling people like to draw where God's at the top and you're at the bottom corners, right? And as you get closer to God, you get closer to each other. And as silly of of an illustration as that can sometimes end up being, because you've maybe heard it a bunch of times, it is absolutely true. Um, And that's the process that we began um, with those two and with Christ. Um, From that day forward, it gets uglier. There's a lot more detail, and there's, you know, it's life. So every day was a struggle. Um, That affair became real at home now. We had to deal with that. I hid that from her also. Of course, I didn't tell her about that. She found out about the affair that I was having with the girl in Rapid while I was in Sioux Falls. So it was easy for me. She called and said, Who's this? And I got to tell her who that was over the phone while I was in my hotel room. I didn't have to deal with her in person. To me, that was I won. Not that I won, but it it came out. Sin was found out, but it was found out, and I was 400 miles away. So I got to hang up the phone and get drunk and forget about it, and she had to deal with it, and we can deal with it when we get home. Um, That's how that sin found me out. It was a stupid email that I had sent. Somehow she had found, because she was nosy. (laughs) And but then I had to deal with that when we got back, um, and how, I, how we dealt with that was poor. Still trying to pursue counseling and help, but I ended up moving out. Um, she had, she had, it was like a movie. She had my stuff all on the table, and you're you're gone. It wasn't on the lawn, but maybe it was winter, so she couldn't do that. <laughs> um, but in my wife's loving heart, sort of way, it was still. She had all the things I needed all packed up neatly on the table and said, you need to leave. You've obviously made your choice. So I moved out. uh, Found an apartment in Spearfish. And then two weeks later, I think, is the time frame I shared, the girl I was having an affair with didn't want anything to do with me. So I just left my entire family. Pregnant wife. Moved across town. Moved into an apartment. I had a bed and like a George Foreman grill, the little white one that could cook one burger yeah. patty. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, Typical bachelor. That was pretty much like, it. I lost everything.
1: Yep, I got a George Foreman, a bed, a guitar, and um, a refrigerator to keep my beer cold. And that was my apartment. I had a four-bedroom apartment because I was super smart at decision making.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> who, who am I having over? Nobody. Um, but yeah. I was al- then I was alone it was it was that was it I was in an apartment by myself and the girl I was having an affair with said said peace out you're a freak she was right at that moment in my life she she saw it she didn't want anything to do with it she wanted to go restore her marriage that made me angry she didn't want anything to do with me uh, I'd broken all my relationships at church I'm not leading worship anymore of course now it's out and I don't care um, and I started the you know kind of middle finger to the world sort of attitude at that moment. Um, but at the same time, I'm a Christian. And so the conviction is very deep and very heavy. And then what do, how do you navigate through that um, in an apartment by yourself when your wife kicked out and now, now you're, what is it, a mistress? What do we call her? The lady I was seeing also doesn't, what do you do? Now I got nothing. I remember scrolling through my phone book all the way from A all the way to Z trying to figure out there's got to be somebody I can call. Nobody's on that list. Nobody. They probably would have answered, but I didn't feel like I could call him. Shame was too thick and too deep and couldn't do it. Um, that led to being alone, which is where Satan wants you to be. Um, completely alone. Spiritually, physically, not with people. She's alone. I'm alone. Um, picking up my kid every f- five days or something and um, I remember that's a dark place to be so I had a I had a bout with um, this is the hardest one to talk about I, there's nowhere else to go nowhere else to talk to so I would just not be here which is where so many people get to yes and I completely understand it when, when a kid or absolutely an adult is at the end of the rope like I'm just gonna off myself I'm like yeah I yeah your logic makes
0: sense. Yeah. And, you know, I my heart, because I've been in that spot, and the world says that that's so selfish and self-centered. It's like, no, you truly believe I have, everyone would be better without me, and I have nothing to offer anyone, and the world would be better if they could just go on. I a couple of years ago, I had just some really deep depression, and I started to have those thoughts. It's like, man, like, my wife... And my daughter would be better off without me. Like if I just off myself, like they can, she can move on with someone much better than me. Yep. And I, I don't believe that it's coming from a place of selfishness. I believe it's coming from a place of blindedness. Yep. Like I don't believe what God can do with us that God can redeem and restore. That's absolutely true.
1: we have lost all hope is what yes, it is. Absolutely. And unless your hope is realigned and made made aware to you then if you're alone and nobody's telling you what that hope is where are you hearing it mm-hmm. I wasn't open in my Bible nobody was coming over um, I used to blame the church and blame people for that a lot they knew where I was um, but if, if nobody's in your ear talking to you about who you are in Christ and you've if you shut the world out on purpose that's where you end up you end up alone in an apartment or alone wherever um, I had a shotgun I would I would get blackout drunk and try to I wouldn't load it because I was smart enough ahead of time, but I would use it to practice because mm. I wow. knew because I'd heard plenty of stories of people flinching at the last second. like I know this is super graphic, but this is part of where depravity gets you and part of where sin takes you and part of understanding what he he power can rescue you from is I'm practicing with a shotgun in an apartment that's right across the interstate here. We're sitting right here by it. Um and I to make I,
0: sure you get the job done and I'm don't getting just it done. yourself.
1: I'm getting it done. I got a mirror set up, I'm getting the angle right. Like I've heard plenty of stories of people missing and living the rest of their lives with half a face. That's not happening to me. That, that's sick. You have a real sickness going on if you're that. That's premeditated. Like that is not good. Um and one of those times I knew I would, I would be blacked out enough, I could concoct enough chemicals and alcohol to, um, I would load that gun and do it, but I wouldn't be aware of it. And that is a really cowardly way to operate life. Um, I wouldn't do it sober. I wouldn't have cheated on my wife sober. I would have done nothing like that sober. So I had to get completely intoxicated. And I knew someday I'd get there, and I would have. Um, I was listening to this story, you guys, this morning, and trying to remember what God forgets a little bit, but remembering what he brought us from, too, is really good. And it was going to be close to that time in my life where I decided to, to make sure there was a shell in that gun. And it was going to be that night. If not that night, it was going to be that next day. We're there. I'm done. And my wife texts me and says, I, it's time to go to the hospital. Well, she's pregnant. So she's about to have my daughter. And I'm not kidding. I'm listening to that part this morning, Brady, in my living room. And my daughter gets up from bed this morning and walks into the room during that part. All tired with her blankie. And I just, I kind of lost it. And I don't know that she knew. She kind of was like, because I had earphones on. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> you saved my life. God used you to save my life. And I got, I got up and I was completely out of it. But I got up and went to the hospital instead of the alternative that night and went to be with Lauren as she had Paisley. Um, and I don't remember it.
2: Yeah. I think you were high or drunk. I
1: was all, I was all of it. And I can see the pictures and I know I was there, but I don't remember it. And I, I regret that and I will forever, but it got me out of that apartment and it got me to a place where God's promises were present. Her parents were there. Um, and that was kind of a turning point where, um, I wish I could say it. it went like that and we we fixed it, but oh, it's just so powerful to see her walking this morning and remember that that was she's twelve, wow. so it's easier to remember how long ago that was. Mm-hmm. So it's her birthday. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? That's got God's grace on display. Her middle name is Grace. Um. So I'm gonna fast forward through a bunch of this. We she obviously had Paisley. I didn't move back in. Um, I called her around Father's Day, um, desperate. I was done, I was at the end of my rope and needed to get back home. And I knew that that was the right answer, but I didn't know if it was possible. And so out of desperation, instead of thumbing past her number, one of those nights I started calling her because I didn't see any other, there's no other way out. And I don't want to leave. Um, I, I had made it through the lack of hope um, enough to, to reach out to her and say, I want to come back and do this. Will you have me back? Sort of a thing. Um, she was at home with her parents. She was taken off to Chicago on father's day to go be with a friend. Um, my daughter was a couple weeks old, actually. It wasn't very long. And I called and called and called and called and called and she finally answered. And I told her what I needed to tell her. I want to come back. And I think you said we'd talk when you got back from Chicago or something.
2: Yeah. So this, part of that that's my side what was what god was doing yes, while he was doing okay. that was he had called our pastor at the time and said you know he was going to get back with me and all this stuff and um, that was around mother's day and it was a fluke it didn't it didn't happen he didn't mean what he said or whatever and was still trying to get the other girl back i think or something like that and so i'd heard it before we're going to work this out and i'm so sorry and all that then i had paisley and out of being I didn't know what was going to come next, but I thought just out of common courtesy, I would just tell him I was having a kid, whether he showed up or not. I prepared myself that he, he maybe wasn't coming and he did show up, but like I said, he was high. I remember he brought a case of Bud Light with oh, him wow. <laughs> into the, into the room and he, he was unhealthy. I mean, he was sick. Um, so he was there, but like he said, he doesn't remember. Um, and so it was, you know, I was, it was sad, but yet, I don't know. I'm thankful he was there. Um, but we've got through that and then he was still was just off. And, you know, I had every right to leave him. I had had counsel that you're free to go, Lauren, you don't have to stick with it, but I did not feel peace to divorce him. I just, I don't even know the right answer other than I know for a fact, God said, you're not divorcing this guy. Even though I'd had biblical counseling saying you can, you know, you have every right. So I'm getting ready to fly out to see my good friend. I've got our baby of 2 weeks. I've got Peyton, he's 2. Um and I was at my parents' house cuz I flew out from Denver the next morning and um I remember my dad looking up on the computer the divorce information. He said, "Lauren, when you get back, like we have to you have to do something. Like you can't just live in this limbo land and So I knew that was coming, even though I didn't want that to be the case. And I didn't, I don't know, other than I just really didn't feel like I was supposed to, but yet I'm in this desperate spot. So um, the night I'm getting ready to fly out, my counselors told me, you have, you don't have to talk to him. You can, you know, just go enjoy your trip. You don't have to worry about him. He doesn't get, because it was Father's Day and he was frustrated that I was leaving town on Father's Day with the kids. And and they're like, you know what, he doesn't, don't worry about that. You had this plan. You just do what you got to do. Um... And so their, their advice was, you don't, don't feel obligated that you have to respond to his text messaging or anything. So it's like, all right, I'm going to not respond. So I'm at my parents and my side of what God's doing is I'm frustrated. Cause I'm like, God, you, I feel like you don't want me to divorce this guy, but I don't know what else. Like I, you know, he made these promises. They didn't, they didn't hold true. I had Paisley. I thought that would be, you know, he would soften to you. He's not still, um, like, I don't know, but what do you want me to do? And I I just, at that time in my life, I didn't read my Bible because I had to read my Bible like a checkbox. It was like, I absolutely had to read my Bible. God was talking to me, like literally so, so near to me at this time in my life that I, I would crave to open the word because he always, he, he literally spoke to me every time and so very practical to me. So I was like, You know, I have this brand new baby in the living room next to me. I have my son in the room, so I don't wake him up. I had a flashlight like I'm 10, got a blanket, you know, and I'm reading my Bible and (coughs) I can't make it up. But the verse that I was reading was in Isaiah 66, I think. Mm -hmm. And it just says, you know, do I, I'm paraphrasing, but do I bring you to the moment, bring you through all these labor pains and bring you to the moment of birth and not deliver, declares the Lord. Yeah. And I just remember being like, God, you say. I mean, I was frustrated. I'm like, you say, you bring me to the moment, like all this pain, but then you deliver. Like what? It, like I've been going through the pain, and like I, you say this. Like I'm, I'm asking you to do it. Like, what is this for? And I'm not kidding you. It's probably 12:30 at night, and I got a message from him. Can you please talk? I need to talk to you. And it's like, oh, counselor said
0: you don't have. to. I don't
2: have to. But then. I don't know, you know. And so just like a, I mean, little girl, I go into my parents' room and I wake him up. So I got this message and Adam wants to talk to me. My dad's like, okay. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I said, he's going to divorce me. My dad's like, well, we kind of already were talking about that, Lauren. Like, you know, it might be a thing. Um, why don't you just give him a call? And I'm like, well, I don't know what he's going to say. I'm too scared of what he's going to say. My dad's like, well, you're here. Like, you've got people around you. So just just go see what he's going to say. And I'm like, well, I don't know. And I'm, I'm just dealing with this thing. Um, and so I went down to the basement and I called him and that's when he just basically broke on the phone and said, you know, I completely screwed up. I've got to get this figured out. You know, can I drive down there? You want to drive down? Can I just drive down there to see you? Even if it's just for three hours before you fly out, like I can't let you and the kids go. And this whole thing. And again, I'd heard this before. So I'm yeah. like, yeah. So I said, well, you know, you just called for Andy. He did get a hold of somebody here in town to be with him because he was super suicidal. said, so you call someone to be with you. And I said, and then I'm going on my trip. We're not going to worry about it. And, then, you know, when we get back, we can talk if this is a real thing or not. And I had zero expectation of it being a real thing because I'd heard it before. Um, a friend went over to be with him, um, felt good about it, went over and spent the whole time with my friend and we didn't talk. I, we just didn't, which was really a good thing. When we got back, we started working it out and that would be, I said, that was in June and I said he, he wasn't allowed to move back in that he could redate me. So we started redating, um, which was very odd to call a babysitter mm-hmm. to come to my house to watch my kids so that my husband could take me out to dinner and then drop me back off is really weird yeah. but I, I thought that was the right thing to see if he where he was at if this was really a thing. and I remember my counselor saying, if this is not vertical repentance, um, just horizontal, you'll be in the same predicament yes. because sometimes
0: there's just regret. it's like, oh, yep. this is causing hardship for my life. So I regret. The, what it's doing for me, so I'm going to undo it, but that's not that's not repentance to God. That's not yes. vertical repentance.
2: And I remember him telling me that and listening to, you know, they had a speaker that he gave me a um, CD at the time on that whole um, sermon on uh, false repentance was the name of the sermon. Mm. And it was so good. And it's like, yeah, I'm sticking with this. He's not moving in until you know we're gonna see if this is really repentance or not, and so we dated um from June, and I remember his lease came up at the end of October, and he's like, "You know, what do I do? Do I renew it? Do I not And of course, we're broke, we're paying for two things mm-hmm. it's like, and I knew I knew that I should not have taken him back. I knew it, I knew that it wasn't this, it was this he he missed hanging out with the kids. You know, he was missing out on Paisley's first six months of her life. Peyton's only two. Um, he was drinking heavily at the time. Um, I knew it wasn't this. It was this. And I'm desperately lonely and trying to juggle a newborn and a two-year-old. And it's like, yeah, It again, it looks okay to the world, you know, that uh, he's no longer having an affair. Okay, you know, and it's like, you know, God – what's it hurt to just let him move? At least we're not paying, you know, justifying, at least yes. we're not paying for two places. So financially, this is the right decision. And so, yep, he can move back in. And then we're back in the vicious cycle of him showing up to church on Sunday, smelling horribly of alcohol, pretending to people who would say, how you doing? It's so great to see you. Oh, I'm awesome. Oh, you've been reading? And what what's God teaching you? And him lying right to their face. Oh, yeah, I think I was reading and First Peter, you know, and they're like, really? Tell me about it. Yeah, I'll have to catch up with you. None of that was true. What was happening at home was drinking, 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 and me being a freak because all I'm doing is, what time is he getting home? Mm -hmm. Is the fair really over? How much has he drank? You know, I'm being like the monitor. So my life is living hell because all I'm doing is You have two little ones to take
0: care of and one big one to take care of. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably the harder one. So,
2: you know, it's funny because people always say, oh, the affairs. And yes, those were terrible and I hated every minute of it. But honestly, and we'll try to speed this up here. But the next five years, five, (laughs) I always tell people it was not a quick fix. The next five years were actually the living hell. When he was having affairs, did I like it? No. Was it horrible? Yes. But it was my disobedience of taking him back, knowing shouldn't have. And then the next five years were legitimately hell, hell. I mean, it was fighting all the time. I mean, fighting, punching holes in walls, screaming, throwing things, craziness, me not trusting anything he says, you know, where are you going? You know, I'm going here. And then me checking to see if he was really there and then him going, this lady's like my mom on me all the time, looking at my text messages. In my, and I was psycho. I was looking at phone calls to see what time phones. I was checking um, the car if he said he went here, and I knew that was fifty miles. I'd go outside to see if he really went fifty oh, miles wow. or if he was going further. And I would get, I'd feel justified in that because I would find him lying all the time. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you said you went fifty miles. Well, actually, the speedometer says you went, or or, don't, or says That's you cool went.
0: So you weren't trusting God at all. You are trusting that you could control uh, your circumstances.
2: Which was making his life a living hell. And home life, I mean, the poor kids, I just think, gosh, I'm just thankful. God's so gracious because I'm like, man, these poor kids saw way too much. Um, So he's drinking heavily and hiding it from me. So it would look like he maybe drank three or four beers, but he had been drinking 30 Prior to me arriving from work, I would come in and think, oh, he's just having a couple beers and he'd say, what's the big deal? We're just having drinks with dinner. So I'd go, yeah, don't be crazy, you know, and it just was this vicious thing because then that was hidden money because you got to support your lifestyle somehow. Yes. And then so our marriage was horrible, absolutely horrible for five years, legitimately horrible for five years. And I think years. that
0: probably people listening were expecting that that summer was the turning point. Oh, it was, it was great all, from that It was all forward. rainbows from there. But you had five years oh. of living in this chaos and drunkenness and yeah. uh, having to deal with yourselves. That really
1: does feel like the moment in the story where you go...
0: Yay. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. And it was not that. Not it. And we're not going to tell that whole five-year no. story, but... It it has absolutely everything to do with being vertical, and we were not. She was horizontal. I, I was. My failure was um, dictated her mood nonstop, and she had no trust anywhere that it should be. And I was performing for whoever would watch, and she knew the truth. So I, you know, didn't like her very much at home because she kind of got to see the behind the scenes. But you were at church; you didn't see that. I could put on a show for you in no time. Um, and that, again, that's no different than where we started the story. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Just and shifted it a little. Now
1: I just knew I'd, I couldn't do the affair because that didn't work. But now I'm stuck. And we were in the same exact spot. And until we decided that vertical was first and horizontal was second and repentance was needed to be real and confession of sin needed to happen and actual lifestyle change needed to happen, until we got there, it was... All of the stuff we mentioned was just a result of selfish ambition. Um, James says your selfish desires um, bring you into... I, I picture it like a lure. They lure and entice you, right? And that leads to sin and sin leads to death. And it was no different in the beginning than it is um, right now in that point in the story. It was that selfish desire and it was sin and it was gross and it had us in the same spot. Um, I have to read this and then we can get it wrapped up. But... Um, can I say what book it is?
0: Do you care? Oh, absolutely.
1: Oh, Ian, Ian Thomas wrote a book called The Saving Life of Christ. It's unbelievable. Um, and I have this circled in here. It says, now the devil loves to invert truth and turn it into a lie. And probably what he has been saying to you is this, try not to fulfill the lusts of the flesh, and then you will walk in the Spirit, as though the latter were a reward for the former. He knows that in this way, he will keep you preoccupied with yourself instead of being preoccupied with Christ. It's Galatians 5 in his own words, but we were preoccupied with ourselves instead of being preoccupied with Christ. The devil had inverted truth. We were going to perform and then we'd be walking in the spirit. And until we figured out that it was vertical and we needed to walk in the spirit and that then this stuff would take care of itself. Um, the, the, the actual, there's a turning point that is for positive. Um, I had a bunch of beer in my car. Lauren found it one night. Um, she took it all out of the car and she set it in the garage where we kept our beer, and you know, our six pack that looked normal. She took the three cases I had in my car and mm. set them there and when i got home i realized that she had found them and put them next to our normal beer supply and i went inside fully expecting the you know punch holes in walls argument and dinner was made and she gave me a hug and a kiss and we had a beautiful evening and she didn't say anything and i was really confused and that was a moment in her life through great counsel from people who know jesus where they said you need to uh, stop work, wrap him up and hand him over to god and she she actually did it
2: stop being the detective. Like, what was I going to find? I already knew it.
1: Yeah, She knew. So yeah. when, when I didn't get the response from her, that was anger and throwing things and arguing and you're going to fix this or else and all that sort of stuff. When grace showed up or mercy, probably more so in that case, it confused me because I still didn't feel right. And it was, it was at that moment when I realized that my sin was against God, not against her. And she had to let go. And that's the hardest part of the entire story is some you both have to realize it's this. And that was a moment where that actually happened for both of us. She turned me over vertically. She looked up and said, he's all yours. And I looked around and went, if, if I'm not letting someone down and I still feel like garbage now, why do I feel that way? And I finally realized that it was sin against God in heaven, not sin against her, although it affected her. Um, and that is a moment where we, where we both began pursuing him vertically, and the horizontal began to fix itself. And it was a long time after that, of figuring out who God says you are and what the truth is about who He is, and um, but staying persistent in it and letting Him do His work, dying to yourself, your husband, um, you know, laying yourself down like Christ laid Himself down for the church is a real thing. It's a biblical command, and it's very hard. Um, and you can't do it under your own strength or power.
0: That's why it has to be from God.
1: It's absolutely from Him. And, and you go through cycles of that, crazy cycles and all the things that get talked about. But um, if it's not a constant vertical and you, and you go back and forth, you get in seasons of life where you're focused on the horizontal and you're performing, and you get in seasons of life where you're arguing and all that sort of stuff. But as soon as you turn it vertical and start dealing with your relationship with Jesus, it's not that other stuff goes away. It's that, that now you have the power to move through it, and it doesn't become, um, it, it loses its power. You're killing sin instead of taming it mm. um, and getting that's, rid of that's it. That's
0: good. Killing sin instead of taming it. Yeah.
1: That was a Chandlerism from back in the day. Mm. You, you get to tame yeah. sin as an apex predator. It's a lion. You can tame it. It's going to wake back up, and it's going to eat you. Yeah. Or you could kill it and drag it out in the street. Mm-hmm find I love that. I love that. Like, oh, we're going to get this done. You're going to find people who are serious about their pursuit of Jesus and they're going to help you drag that out in the street and shoot it with you. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do it together and then you're going to celebrate and move on so that later when you have to tell your story again on a podcast 7 years mm-hmm. later, you have to go back and listen to the first time you told it because you're not letting you don't even define remember you. it define you. It's not who you are anymore. Yeah. It's not who you are. I'm free in Christ and so is my wife and so is our marriage and that's how we're directing our kids and there's plenty of garbage to talk about that happened but none of it is worth talking about if you don't if it doesn't terminate on Christ and and he's the answer to all of it um, which is a freeing thing to talk about and a much better place to be Uh, the last five have been wonderful <laughs> or many you've
0: speak. had no sin at all, and none. <laughs> <laughs> no sin been, anymore. You've been such a joy to live with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Anyway,
1: um, that's all. That's pretty much who we are.
0: I have pastors and church leaders regularly reach out to me about speaking at their churches and events. If that's something you would be interested in, feel free to go to calibrateministries.com and fill out the contact form, and I'd love to talk to you about what that would look like. I, I know that we've spent a lot of time, but that's completely okay, and I don't want to miss some important things. Um, so I have a couple of questions for each of you, um, like how, talk about just trust. I guess both of you could talk about that. How do you start to trust one another again? And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's, that's what holds so many people back in restoring their marriage Mm -hmm. is they can never trust one another again. Uh, and so how do you move on and trust golly?
2: So honestly the key is again, shifting your focus to Christ. And that sounds like, okay, but how, um, I learned to visually picture packaging him up, laying him at the foot of the cross and saying, God, you love him more than I do. And you love me more than anyone else does. And he is literally yours. Um, and that means that because, because my relationship with Christ, because I trust him, and his attributes and who he is in my life that helps me to trust him with Adam. So again, um, for me, it was literally focusing on when I would want to question or see to say, no, God, I trust that you are going to reveal to me anything I need to know. So I don't need to grab his phone and look through it and double check or check the mileage. Like if you want me to know something regarding my marriage, you will make it known to me. It will find. It will find itself out. I can trust that you are good, and you know. And so every time, taking those thoughts captive, every time that I want to go look, I want to go see. And yes, I do fail in it at, you know time and time. But the the main thing is right. Two steps forward, one step back. But yes. just taking that and going, no, God, um, because of my because I trust you, I know that. I can, I can trust you with whatever is there. If he's having an affair, you'll make it known to me. Um, if he's whatever you'll, you'll let me know
0: that's not just a blind ignorance no that's a i will walk with jesus close enough that he will make it known to me and i will deal with it i'm not going to ignore i'll deal with it if god makes it known without me taking control being mr or mrs detective and paranoid Mm -hmm. and questioning everything
2: because at the end of the day do i want my marriage to be like that either No, because that's not freeing. I did that for five years and Mm -hmm. that was worse, right? More miserable. So, um, you know, I know people. We've counseled a lot of different couples and, you know, we've seen some that still live in that, that they can't get out of the, you know, I have to go with them when he goes to the store or, or, you know, she's constantly needs to see my phone checked in at the night or whatever. And yes, for some people, for accountability reasons or whatever, that's fine. At a certain
0: stage when it's still fresh and raw and they don't have control... Over their flesh. You know, you have to have some reasonable, wise boundaries. Right.
2: But it's when you are able to go, you know, at the end of the day, do I want a marriage that every second I have to either ride with or (laughs) that's not freeing. It's really restrictive and says little about my relationship with Christ. Because at the end of the day, as much as I would hope Adam's in my story, at the end of the day, God could have chose to not restore our marriage and I still had to be okay with Christ. Yes. so Adam is a piece and a, a blessing to the story but he doesn't dictate my relationship with Christ and so our biggest my biggest uh, advice to anybody would be your relationship with Christ has to be solid regardless of who's in your life. God can take people in and out of your life at any time and maybe we want to hold on to that but at the end of the day, really your relationship with Christ is, um, the only thing that you can guarantee, right, and that has a solid stamp on it, and so pursuing my relationship with Christ, knowing that I can trust Him, and if He, if He's going to show me something that I need to know about myself or about Adam, I, He's good. He's faithful. He's going to do it. And so, um, it's not, it's not easy, but it's, it is really required for um, the abiding life.
0: Yes, uh, that you're abiding in Christ mm-hmm. and your relationship with Christ isn't dependent on him.
2: Yeah, it has to be that yeah. way. If it gets backwards, then your whole life is dictated by how others Yes, and then others become your idol. Yes. And um, that could be in marriage or friendships or mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. They yeah. become who you're trying to please. And,
0: and you become a slave to them. Because when you have an idol, you're a slave to that idol because you're dependent on it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm I'm not perfect at it. You know, we go in seasons where I'm like, yikes, I'm back to this, you know, Mm -hmm. and I have to go, yuck. That's, and nobody likes that. I mean, my kids don't like being around when that's going on. He doesn't like being married to me when that's going on. So ultimately, again, just reshifting like my relationship with Christ and the trust, trusting him knowing he's good, faithful, and if you have to, honestly, read the promises of God, write down his attributes, because when he is faithful, when I am not, he is just when I am not. Nothing is un, you know hidden from him. I can trust that he sees whatever's going on with Adam. I don't have to necessarily see it. I can trust that God does, and God is just, and he's faithful, and he's good, um, and then that shifts my focus.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, I have two more questions and we'll wrap this up. Um, with this dynamic, so many times you know your family sees how much he has hurt you mm-hmm. and your circle of friends, and you find reconciliation, but many times those circles don't, they see the husband. Or it was it's reverse the wife as the enemy, the monster. How could you have done this to our daughter, slash how could you done this to our sister, to our friend? And so you find reconciliation, but those people aren't able to. Uh how did you how do you navigate that? And how did you obviously you can't control those people? Um, and we And I know that there has been grace and restoration, because I I heard your story years ago. And so how did that play out? How to Mm -hmm. not allow them, again, you can't control them, but not allow them to just see you as the victim and Adam as the enemy, Mm -hmm. uh, and for them to build and move forward with loving Adam like you do? Mm
2: -hmm. Well... My family loves Jesus. Amen.
1: Um, End of story. Yes.
2: And they honestly, you know, my sister was really good friends with Adam out when we were going. I mean, she was good. For, she's always been really close to Adam. And so even when we were separated and he was having a full on affair with another girl, I remember my sister me. I was so mad at my sister, but her meeting him down at the stadium mm-hmm. just to, to hang out with him. And I was like, "What? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're kidding and, me?" And but... that's
0: that's really remarkable because many people in your position were like, "You want everyone to turn against him mm-hmm. and to not be there. For, you want him to suffer, mm-hmm. and you want everyone to be on your side." And so that's that I think natural, but that yeah. so that's really great that they, you know.
2: Yeah. And honestly, didn't. my dad and Adam have always been really close too, and I would say. <laughs> they would probably say they're best, I mean, I don't know, best friends, but really good friends. We're and best so... friends, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that's in their favor, too. Um, yeah, it, just really it, had a heart.
1: It cannot go understated. The The reason that that restoration was possible was because they know Jesus. There are people in our life that don't know him that still see me as that person. Yeah, we definitely lost friends. no way around it. And you
0: know what? That's okay. And there's there's kind of a attitude of this kind of feminism, take control, be mm-hmm. empowered, completely reject him. There's probably women in your life could, who couldn't accept oh, yeah. your reality of I'm a sinner too, mm-hmm. and I need my own repentance and God can bring restoration. There's probably, yeah you've lost friends because there's people who can't accept that. Yeah. They
1: absolutely cannot. And the reason that the testimony is powerful is because it's about God. It's our story. I know we talked about, but now you've brought in other people who know Jesus that are involved in that story, and you can see the redemption that came from it was was beyond our marriage. It extended to her family and other people in the church, and I led worship again at that church. Like There's people who love Jesus there they got it. They see that Christ died for that sin also, and that there is redemption for it, and there's restoration possible. And there's a bunch of people that fell off. Um, I don't have a lot of friends I had before, and that's probably a good thing because they don't know Jesus, and they're not going to pursue Him, and the advice they give is terrible. And um, we are instructed pretty clearly to stay away. And so by the grace of God, some of those people are gone. Yeah. Um, And I pray for them, and hopefully they can work their way towards that vertical that we have all found. But that is the absolute answer, is the ones that are still there fighting with us. And you can really worship with people, honest worship with people, when you've been through stuff like that with them and you all know the same Lord and Savior. It's not a performance. It's not a... it. And when we think worship, we think music, but that could be the case. Um, It doesn't matter what song you're singing or what church you're going to or what environment you're in. When you're all giving glory to the same God that you walked through all of that with, I think that's... You've reached um, uh, almost perfection in your relationship with Christ, almost, when you're witnessing that kind of power. Someday we'll be there and And we we can can worship together. Yeah.
0: And having been through all that, having been so. having that history the past and knowing it having lived it maybe felt hurt and pain by these people yep. and yet we are worshiping god together because he is greater yep uh that kind of leads into my last question i i don't want to at all criticize the way that your church or Christian friends handled it, didn't handle it. We don't need to go into those details. But can you just give us some encouragement for if I am your friend, how could I have been a good friend through this? And when you scrolled through your phone numbers, felt like there's no one I can talk to. How could I have been someone that you could have actually called and known that you were going to be loved and not not have to hide in shame. And mm-hmm. some of that is the devil lying to you, telling yeah, you that you couldn't call those people. Yep. But still, how can how can we be a good friend um, in these crisis situations in which people are making horrible choices? Because I see too many times Christians just give up. And there's a point where it's like, I can't fix this person. I have to wrap them up and give them to God. But I still need to be obedient to bearing the burdens, yep. to reminding you of who you are, in, in, in Christ, and so forth. Yeah, it is. It
1: was vital to me. There were people in that throughout that process. Throughout that was a decade of hell, right? So, there were people that were consistent. Um, The giving up part is your selfish desire for that situation to be fixed for you.
0: You're uncomfortable with it. Yes, you don't want to enter the mess. And so it's like, well, we're just going to give them over to Jesus or we're flying all kinds of excuses before our own comfort. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, but it's usually for that person. And we've all been there. I don't like that that family is going through that hard time. So I'm going to give whatever advice I can give because they ask. But if it's not fixed in about two or three months, Mm -hmm. probably I'm not going to be able to help you. Which is kind of true, like you're probably not going to be able to help them because it's Christ who needs to help them, but it's the consistency, it's being able to know um, and do it in love that these people um, are going to stand on the truth, that's the first thing that needs to happen if you're going to come alongside people that are going through stuff like this, is there is truth, and there is not a blurred line, there is truth about what goes on in in infidelity, there is truth about what Scripture says about being unequally yoked, there is truth about everything. And so being able to know that truth, but be able to d- deliver that truth in a way that's loving and not um, condemning um, is a, is an interesting tightrope to walk. But it comes with consistency, um, being involved with whoever that is for an extended period of time, even when they are at the depths of what you would call despair. Maybe you don't want to be around them either because you're so angry at their sin, remembering they're an image, a person created in the image of God. They've professed in many cases a relationship with him, and if they haven't, then they need to know who he is. Yes. Just tell them about Jesus, because if they don't know, they don't know. What do they? They don't know what they're doing. Um, but if they have professed love for Christ, then be patient with them and let God. You kind of turn them over.
0: But but you you still you don't become hardened towards them. Mm-hmm. You look for opportunities to invest in them, pray for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, remind them of who they are in christ but without micromanaging and control
1: yeah you're never going to argue someone into yeah. the truth right so i can think of some examples um tangible stuff jess meeting me at the stadium probably i was three sheets to the wind i'm sure because i don't remember and but she's there and that speaks more than anything she could say and i know we didn't talk about jesus we probably talked about the tar heels or something else yeah. um She also would keep in contact with me and just love you or text me about normal stuff. Like I think that sometimes friendship goes away. She can text me about basketball or my buddies can text me about the... Like normal life still happens and I'm still interested in that stuff. And every time you text me, doesn't need to be about my issues. Yes. So just be my friend and continue through this with me. Um, Lauren's dad being there, um, nonstop when obviously what I was doing was probably very hurtful, uh, but being there in a truthful way, I remember the end of one of his emails he wrote me, the only one he ever wrote me said, you're at war with God. That's all I remember. It was a whole bunch of other stuff, but there was truth there. I'm like, okay, this is about me and him. Are you sensing a theme? Mm-hmm. Um, another one was the administrator from Grace, uh, Waylon that would drive around with me in the middle of like one in the morning, two in the morning. Why am I in a car with this guy? <laughs> he's letting me drink and talk, and but he's there. He was there. I would have called him. He probably just didn't answer. He was sleeping because I probably was going through my phone at 1. But he was there, and it didn't make sense that he was there. And anytime time that that combination is happening... You're there, but it doesn't make sense to the people you're around. You're probably doing something right. Yeah. You know, Jesus so was around right. a lot of people and we, it didn't we make show sense. Up
0: and we, in our American culture, we find every excuse of kids, family, other commitments. I'm tired to not show up mm-hmm. and showing up for people. It's a big one. Yep. Is a big one.
1: Yep. Or you made your own bed. Good luck with your life. Yeah. Is never a good answer you're, either. You're suffering
0: your own consequences. Yeah. Which is true. Mm-hmm.
1: And then go love them. Yeah. Yeah. So stepping in is
0: hard, but, Absolutely. you know. uh, let me close us in prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, dear Lord, I just, I come to you with words that I don't even know what to say. I'm just in awe of who you are and what you do and the grace you give us. And I thank you for Adam and Lauren and the grace they've experienced. I, I thank you that you have reconciled them and you have redeemed them in, in marriage and in their relationships with you i pray that the people listening today can have hope i pray that that hope doesn't come from thinking that they can control the outcome or that they can control their circumstances or they can control another person but that hope is in that you never fail them that they can turn to you, that they can, uh, trust other people to you that they don't have to control. I pray that you would uh, give people a vision of marriage that surrenders that, um, uh, that, 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 examines uh what am i doing who am i um how did i get into this place and i pray that people would surrender to the hope they have in you and that would lead to restoration but even uh if it doesn't lead to restoration with another person it can lead to restoration with you so we rejoice in what you've done we thank you we worship you uh and Lord, we we just um we pray that we can live in a world where we speak truth and restoration and hope to one another and we don't give up that that hope um, is, is possible. Pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome, guys. And thank you for joining us on this episode, and we pray that you can embrace god's standard for sexuality which is surrender ultimately and uh go and sin no more but rejoice in god's grace